Come on, let's give Jesus a shout of praise again. We never get tired of shouting his name and praising him. And Father, we thank you as you, we come to your word today. We thank you that it's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide between that which is soulish in our lives, that which is fleshly, and that which is spiritual. It judges the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Thank you for that. We need that inner judge of your word to direct us toward what pleases your heart and away from those things that would drag us away down a path that doesn't lead to you. So we thank you for that judge of your word within us, like a sword dividing that which is spiritual from that which is fleshly. We thank you for it. And I pray in the days, the months, the years to come, we would become well acquainted with that sound of your voice, your word within us. And we would allow it to have its full expression. In Jesus' name we pray as I speak, Lord. I pray that your word would settle into our hearts. Be seeded in our hearts. And it would produce a great harvest. It would encourage us and lift us up. Excite us. Empower us. Envision us. But Lord, I pray that it would honor and glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout again. Thank our musicians. Wonderful. Wasn't that an amazing video that we saw this morning? Vernon, Andrea. And you know, I'd seen the video um, uh, a week or two ago. And the, the thing that really captured my heart, or one of the things, obviously all the way through, it's, uh, it's an incredible testimony. But that, that, that shot when, where Vern is kneeling on the field, praying before a game. You see, wherever we are, Wherever we are, our lives are a visual that draw the attention of our world around us. Whether, whether it's playing high-level rugby in World Cup games for your nation, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in a university or a school, or whether it's in your home as you have guests and you invite them around. Wherever it is, we get the opportunity, we get the privilege to shine and testify about our Savior, His goodness and His greatness. What an honor, what a privilege it is to be ambassadors. That's what the Word of God calls you and I. That's how it describes us. We are ambassadors of Christ. What a commission. What honor has been placed on our lives to represent the King wherever we are. I just loved it. Loved the passion. Loved the story. And I just love to see how 
It's exciting to see how God, in all avenues of life, raises us up. Irrespective of who we are or where we've come from, he raises us, us, us up as beacons of light and hope in a dark world. In a dark world. He really does. And what a wonderful privilege it is to see that. A man on a rugby field, playing for his nation, but giving honor to God, first and foremost, before anything he does. Do you know it was the same in the New Testament when you read it? Paul had friends in Caesar's household. In Caesar's, imagine that, in Caesar's household. Paul had a ministry to, to many to the highs and to the very lows of life. He reached anybody and anybody talking about his life. He said, I've become all things to all men so that I might win some. Irrespective of who they were or where they were or where they'd come from, Paul used his life as an extension of God's love to people wherever he found them. And he had friends in the lowest places and in the highest places. He didn't tell those in Caesar's household to leave their vocation, to leave their position. No, they were strategically placed there to be a beacon of light. And wherever you are, don't despise it. Don't underestimate it. You're there, positioned strategically by God to be a beacon of light to be a message of hope and good news, to be the aroma diffused, the ointment poured forth that gives life and glory to your Savior, Jesus. We've been reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and uh, we've been thinking about where Paul spoke to the Ephesians church, a church that was impoverished within themselves, a church that had a broken past, a church that had a, had a history of shame and despair. And yet Paul doesn't point them back to where they came from. When you read his letter, yes, he talks about where Christ rescued them and lifted them out of, but his whole motivation and drive is not to take them back to where they were, but to point them toward where God had taken them from and what God had placed them into, into Christ. And in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, he said, you are the workmanship of God. He didn't, you know, open his letter and say, you're the rubbish of this world. No, he had an understanding of what God could do in Christ Jesus when it came to our lives. He said, you're the workmanship of God. You're the, his masterpiece. You're his handiwork. His hands are all over your life, making it, creating it, and investing in it. You're the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand so that you might walk in them. He identifies and reveals a purpose for their lives, shows them a wonderful picture, we said, but then he gets right to the core of our mission and our commission from Christ. You've been created with a purpose. And that purpose is to walk in good works. 
And when we, when we think about walking in good works, we're not just talking about, you know, here and there. Accidental things. No, we're talking about divine appointments, preordained, pre-planned for your life. For you specifically to engage with. He said, you've been created for those good works. And you're going to walk in them. And I believe by the Holy Spirit that he wants us to understand and expect every single day as we wake up those good works to just come by our way so that we can seize them and take hold of them and be a blessing to the city and the communities in which we live. Good works have been created for you and I. God's created them. God's pre-planned them. God's pre-arranged them. It's all set. It's all set. It really is all set up for you and I. Very often, you know, we can look at our lives and we can think, well, what have I done for God? You know, we can, we can look at our lives and we can think, well, you know, my life isn't up to much in comparison with others. And we hear the stories about what other people do. And we hear about the testimonies that, that other people have. And we evaluate our life on the basis of what we're hearing about in somebody else's life. And we, we go away a bit discouraged. And we go away thinking, well, you know, God's using everybody else, but he's not really using me. Maybe it's because of who I've been and who I am. And no. He's going to use you. Your turn's coming. Your turn's coming. It really is. Your turn is coming. And you're going to see it. And you're going to seize it. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. And you're going to be amazed at what He does through you. And just maybe through a simple word. Maybe through a simple invite. Your life is going to be a bridge and a connection for somebody else into the kingdom of God. And you're going, to, you're going to sit back and you're going to see them flourish. You're going to see them delivered. And you're going to look at what God's going to do through them. And, and, and maybe nobody's going to know that you were the one that brought them, invited them. You were the one that was instrumental and obedient. You were the one that sold your time into them. And you're going to sit back and you're going to think, I had a part to play in that. I had a part to play in that because God's going to use you to be a bridge to others who are going to go far beyond where you could ever go. But he's going to choose you and he's going to use you to bless others. Yes, yeah, sometimes we have a very low opinion of ourselves and because we, we look at ourselves in such a negative way, we, we can think that this disqualifies us when actually the very things that you think disqualify you actually qualified you to be chosen by God. Let me read it to you, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30. Here it is. Don't ever forget it. When you're having a difficult day, when you're, you know, when you're really being hard on yourself, maybe turn to this portion of Scripture because Paul wanted to encourage a, a church just like us in Corinth that had a similar idea about their lives. He said this, brothers and sisters, consider 
who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call, but God chose you, those whom the world considered foolish, to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, the nobodies, so that he might put to shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent, so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence for it is not from man that we draw our life but from God as we are being joined to Jesus the anointed one and now he is our God-given wisdom our virtue our holiness and our redemption. You see, the very things that you think, let's give him praise, church. Let's give him praise. The very things that you think disqualify you, actually qualify you. The very things that you think would cause God to reject you and push you away, it actually attracts him to you. It really does. No, he didn't choose you because you were a wise scholar. He didn't choose you because you were powerful, elite, or high and mighty. He chose you because you were lowly, laughable in the eyes of this world. Nobody's insignificant to others. And God said, I'll have that one. I'll have that one. I'll take that one. And I'll have that one that's the butt of everybody's jokes. I'll have that one that's uneducated. And I'll take that one that is educated but is on the fringe. And their education and their intelligence has caused them to, 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 to be rejected. And he pulls us from all different places of life. And he brings us together. It's a beautiful thing, church. So don't, don't ever underestimate the reasons why God has chosen you. I remember reading a story by Billy Graham, the great evangelist, an amazing man. And he used to tell a story about an 80-year-old lady. She was blind. And one day she had a conversation with God. And she said, oh God, I've been serving you, you know, for these many years. Please now, take me home. I'm blind. I can't do anything for you. What's the point of hanging around here? My heart wants to go home with you. Suddenly, God interrupts the conversation that this 80-year-old lady who's blind it's having with him. He just interrupts and he says, no, I'm not going to bring you home because there's a work for you to do. 80 years of age, blind. She's thinking, what work could I do for God? But the answer was given 
There's a work for you to do. Suddenly she reached over for her telephone directory. It was in Braille. She opened it up, put her hands on the first page, and suddenly she knew what work she had to do. She started to understand that God wanted her to phone people in that telephone directory and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, the love of God in Christ wanting to save them. An 80-year-old blind lady started at the beginning of the directory, A, and started going through it. For the next nine years, she rang tens of thousands of people in that directory. And over that time, after ringing all of those people, 3,000 people had been won and come to Christ. This lady, this lady at the end of her life, looked back over the, the, the nine years and thanked God that he didn't take her before the work, her work on earth was done. Now if a lady who's blind, who feels she's at the end of her life, can cry out to God and say, oh God, take me home, and God respond to her, no, there's more work for you to do on this earth. There's works that are prearranged, preordained for you to walk in. If a lady with, with that incapacity can, can understand and take hold of the will and the plan and the purpose of God for her life, what can we do, church? What's God got pre-planned and pre-arranged for you and I to walk in? I think it's wonderful. I think it's exciting. And let us never have an excuse in his presence. I can't do this. I can't do that. No. Just be available. I said it last week. Just be available. Just say, Lord, here's my life. I'm available today. Do it every day. I'm available today. Who can I bless? Who can I speak to? Who can I, who can I bring maybe just one step closer to you to know in your saving grace? Who is it? I was up on the mountain last night on my bike. And I'm telling you now, some of the places I go to are very obscure. Just in the back of beyond, you wouldn't think you'd see a soul any soul. Well, as I was riding this little sheep trail, there was a man there on his bike. He stopped. He needed a rest. So I pulled over, and I usually talk to cyclists if I, if I see them, you know, if they need help or, you know, they may have a puncture or something. I started talking to this guy, just chatting with him, and I was not going to let this opportunity go. I didn't even need the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking for it anymore. I'm not, I'm not asking, Lord, do you want me to talk to him? Duh, duh, dumb question. You know, do you want me to talk to him when Jesus has said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach the good news, make disciples of all nations? What a dumb question. God, do you want me to talk to him? So I'm not asking that one anymore. So anyway, here he goes. I thought, right. I said, um, I said sir, can I ask you a question? I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? I said, listen, I said, um, 
I said, Jesus, I mean, let's just go straight to the, to the heart of it. I said, Jesus wants to forgive us of our sin. I said, there's a world beyond this world. I said, and, and Jesus wants to secure our future in eternity. I said, oh, sir. I said, have you ever thought about it? And he said, actually, I have. I'd say that was a bit prearranged, a bit preordained for me to maybe not walk into, but ride into. Prearranged, preordained for me, for me. I said, sir, could I pray for you? He said, yes. I said, say these words with me. And we went through it. We called on the name of the Lord together on that mountain for his salvation and for his forgiveness and for the assurance that he would know Jesus every single day of his life. Anyway, at the end of the conversation, I said, uh, I said anyway, I said, um, I said, I'm from the King's Church. My God, he nearly jumped off the bike. He said, the King's Church? He said, I know that church. I said, you know the King's Church? He said, yes. He said, 25 years ago, he said, I went to the King's Church. A friend invited me. And he said, there was a little short man there with long hair. He said, I forget his name. I said, was it Pastor Ray Bevan? He said, that's the man. He said, that's the man. His eyes, see him wide open. That's the man, he said. He said, he called my friend out who, who, whose eyesight was impaired. He said, he just simply prayed for him. And he said, he said, he was healed. And he said, and this is what he said. He said, we could only put it down to a miracle. We could only put it down to a miracle. I text Pastor Ray. I said, hey, Ray, listen to this one. He was so encouraged. But listen, church of God, we as a church, this church over its history have, has had a part to play in tens of thousands of people's lives. This has been like a, a, a lifeboat to people that are, that, that, that are stranded in waters, destitute, no, not knowing where to go or what to do. This place has affected nations and been a blessing to many people. And the work that's been prearranged and preordained for you and I has not stopped over the next three years. Talk about pre-planned, prepared work. One of the aspects of this church to distribute over 90,000 food hampers all over Southeast Wales yet again. And we're going to do it by the grace of God, by the strength of His Spirit. We are going to do it. Why? Because we're walking in pre-ordained, pre-arranged work for us to do. It's very unique. And I want to celebrate it. I want to thank God for the honor of carrying that in this region. What a great blessing. What a great blessing. No, God uses insignificant people. He doesn't look for the strong. He looks for the weak. He doesn't look for the powerful or the prideful. He looks at those that who would be marginalized and rejected. Do you know when you read through your New Testament, especially the book of, well, the Gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles, the two most foremost apostles within the New Testament writings and within the development and the strengthening of the early church are undoubtedly the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Two prominent men used by God mightily 
walking in preordained, prearranged works for their lives, spearheading the work of the Spirit in nations all around the globe. But what about the two men? The insignificant men that were behind them that we never really hear much about that were instrumental in bringing them to Christ. What about those men? Because they had a part to play in the lives of these great men. For instance, Andrew, Peter's brother. What do we know about Andrew? Very little. Why? Because he wasn't a prominent man. He didn't really have a notable position. He didn't have a great gift that the Bible remarks about. He wasn't a charismatic leader. But he was a faithful man when you look at the little details and the little glimpses that we have in Scripture about him. Andrew, listen, Andrew was the man, the brother that brought Peter to Christ. How about that? He wasn't a Peter, but his life was a bridge. His life was used as a connector to bring a great apostle who didn't even know that he was going to be a great man in the kingdom of God. His life, Andrew's life, was there to bring his brother to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 40 to 42. Let's look at this just for a moment. One of the two who, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, Peter, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. What I find amazing about that portion of Scripture is this. Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. Andrew is the bridge, the link, the connection between Jesus and Peter. And he brings him faithfully to Jesus. We found the Messiah, he says. He brings him to him. And you know what's amazing? Jesus doesn't commend Andrew. He doesn't go up to Andrew and say, Oh, well done, Andrew. Well done for bringing your brother Peter. No, Jesus' attention doesn't go on Andrew at all. He focuses on Peter. He's got a prophetic word for Peter to deliver. You are Simon, but you will be. Talking about the work of the Spirit in Peter's life. But Andrew, what a beautiful spirit. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, you haven't noticed me. Hey, Jesus, you haven't honored me. Hey, Jesus, you, you, you haven't talk, talked about the work I've done. No, he was a servant. He was mature. He just wanted to reach people, bring them to Christ and, uh, in order for the, that life that he brought to be released into everything that God had created it to be. Andrew, we know very little about, but oh, what we know about Peter... Peter went on to be one of the select three disciples that Jesus spent time with privately, but Andrew didn't. He was just part of the 12, and that was a privilege. 
Peter was the one that had the revelation from heaven. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Andrew didn't. Peter, the man, walked on water. The man of faith, the man of zeal, the, 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 the leader that everybody was looking at and everybody was listening to, that everybody followed, had a charisma and an explosive personality that Andrew did not have. Peter, the apostle, stood on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, and said, spoke, preached, 3,000 people. And then Peter's with John, and they're raising a lame man at the gate. Beautiful. Uh, Peter's getting angelic visitations when he's in prison. The, the, the doors of the prison open as the angel of God visits Peter, has to wake him up in the middle of the night. And Peter goes into a prayer meeting, and everybody's been praying for him. Peter's the prominent one. But Andrew's the man that brought him to Jesus. And I'm telling you now, when we, when we bring others to Christ, when Jesus uses our lives as a bridge for others to cross, they may go to the ends of the earth. And I pray God, I pray to God that they do. And we may never go where they've gone. But I'm telling you now, if we bring them and release them to Christ, oh, the joy that will be yours to know that you have been a part and had a place in bringing another to Christ and releasing them into their destiny, there is no higher honor. There is no greater privilege than to be a bridge for people to cross, a connector, a conduit, an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is that of which we have been commissioned. No, we don't hear much about Andrew. On another occasion, it was Andrew that didn't despise a little lad's lunch. He saw the little lad had a lunch, and he saw the huge need of the crowd hungry. And Jesus was looking for material to use. They didn't know. Andrew took hold of that lunch. Andrew was, was, the, was the means of getting that little lunch from the hands of that little boy into the hands of Jesus. It was Andrew that was the connector. Not a glamorous job, really. Not something that you'll go down in history for doing, but actually in the eyes of God, it's prized. In the eyes of God, those insignificant small acts of faithfulness are cherished by him. It was Andrew that Philip came to when a Greek party of people wanted to meet Jesus. Philip didn't go directly to Jesus. He brought them to Andrew. And it was Andrew that was the bridge again with Philip that took these Greeks to Jesus to have an audience with him. Andrew was a, was a people person. Andrew was selfless. Andrew wasn't there for position. Andrew wasn't there to get his name in lights. He just counted it an honor to serve the king. And sometimes we can feel as if we're in the shadows, maybe just like Andrew was, but do you know what? Even in the shadows, God has a great work for you and I to do. Amen.
Amen. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 9. We were reading from Acts chapter 9. And we read in that chapter how Saul of Tarsus, Paul, who we've referred to, who wrote the book of Ephesians and many other letters throughout the New Testament after his conversion. But we read about the first moment on the Damascus Road where he was traveling to persecute and imprison Christians at Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, he's arrested by Jesus. He sees a sun. He sees a, a light brighter than the noonday sun. He's hit to the floor. He's blinded for three days. He's told to arise and go to the street called Straight and wait in Judas's house until he receives further instruction. And God speaks to a certain disciple called Ananias. Ananias is even more ob obscure than Andrew. We don't ever hear anything about Ananias before this day when God gave him instruction to, to, to fulfill. And we don't hear anything after about him. An obscure man that God called. A man that, that could have thought, what good is my life? I'm just a certain disciple. I'm not an apostle from Jerusalem. I'm not a great preacher. I haven't really necessarily got any gifts to heal the sick or, or, or do anything like that. He was praying. And suddenly, in a vision, God called his name. He said, Ananias. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 9. Verse 10 to 19. And we'll stop along the way. Just to make some points here. But God says to him, Ananias, verse 10 says this, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am. You know, the name Ananias means whom Jehovah has graciously given. That's what his name means. And it's interesting that the first person that Saul was going to meet was a person whose name would ring in his ears. Jehovah has graciously given. Paul was stooped in the law. Paul was stooped in religion and regulation and all manner of religious customs. And suddenly God had commissioned and sent a man called Ananias. And when you meet, when law meets grace, salvation occurs. Conversion occurs. When law meets grace, transformation and newness of life begins. And God sent Ananias as a gift of grace to this hardened man. Just imagine that your life could be a gift of grace to another person from God, sent by God. Jehovah is gracious. That's what it means. And he was sent by God. But initially he didn't want to walk in the works that God had called him to walk in. 
when he said, here I am, here I am. He was using a phrase that many others had used throughout the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. Here I am is a phrase that's not simply a matter that's locating him physically where he is. This here I am statement that came from his heart was a disposition that said to God, I'm here right now to do exactly what you want me to do. Whatever you instruct me to do, in the here and now, I am willing to undertake and do obediently and faithfully. That's what he was saying when he said, here I am. We haven't got time to go into this statement this morning, but over the weeks to come. We've got the Gideons coming next week. Fantastic. But over the weeks, I'm going to look into other times in people's lives where they, they cried out, where God called out to them and they cried out, here I am. And it's the, it's the cry and the disposition and the heart of a servant willing to do God's will. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. And when he said, here I am, the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered. Now here it comes. The fear. And rightfully so. Because what Ananias was saying and how he was responding to God was very factual and very truthful. He said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your, to your saints in Jerusalem. This was true. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You see, the many things that rose up in Ananias' heart that he had been told about from others regarding Saul and the damage that he'd done to the church. The many things that he'd heard rose up and wanted to hinder, wanted to stop him fulfilling the call that God had for him. But suddenly God wouldn't entertain a conversation with him. God wouldn't answer any Issues that he had with Saul. But he said this, verse 14. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. When God says that you're a chosen vessel, when God has put his hand on a person's life and said, this man is mine for, for, for my purpose and for my use, it doesn't matter how many things people say about them, it's settled with God. It really is. It's settled with him. Ananias goes. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Beautiful statement here, verse 17. And Ananias 
went. He moved beyond his objections. He moved beyond the many things that people had said about Saul. And he settled it in his heart. If God has chosen this man, I am going. And it doesn't matter what people say about other people that God is going to send you to. It doesn't matter what kind of notorious past that they've had. It doesn't matter what they've been involved in. If God has declared that they are a chosen vessel of his to use and for him to to raise up as a trophy of his grace, we have to move beyond all of those objections and those many truthful facts and into God's grace and receive those that God calls to ourselves. We really do. And that's the message of what's happening here. And laying his hands on him. This is Ananias now going into the house. Laying his hands on him. He said, brother Saul. Brother Saul. God came to Ananias and said, I want you to go to the street called Straight. Inquire at Judas's house. And you'll find a man that's praying there, Saul of Tarsus. God called him Saul of Tarsus. I said this last week. God couldn't say to Ananias at that point, he's your brother. Refer to him as brother Saul. God couldn't put that in Ananias' heart. That had to come out of Ananias' heart. And as he walked into that room and he laid his hands on him and he understood that he was a chosen chosen vessel of God's grace to appear before kings and Gentiles and his own people to do wonderful things for God, he called him brother Saul. Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. I tell you now, when you read, you study these scriptures, this chapter in particular, there's so much, there's so, so much where we could go and what we could say. Listen, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Right now, we are at the close of our service. But some things I want you to take away today from what we've said, from what we've read, from what the Holy Spirit have been seeking to do in our hearts. Don't ever disqualify yourself from being used by God. Don't ever allow that voice of the accuser to belittle you and say, do you know what? You're no good. You're not going to be used. There's no future for you to be used by God. You're not going to declare his goodness anymore. You're not going to teach. You're not going to preach. You're not going to be used in those gifts that have been spoken about. Don't ever listen to that voice any longer. No, I don't know how God's going to do it for each and every one of us, but he's got a work for us to, to, to fulfill. He's got good works for us to work out and walk in. He really has. And you and I, are going to walk in those good works. We're going to go out into our world next week, this week. Your life is going to be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope. You're going to see opportunities. You're going to see. 
God's work through your hands, through your mouth. And you're going to fulfill and walk confidently in everything he's created for you to walk in. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your people right now. Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, as we've read, you didn't choose us because we were educated or powerful or strong or because we came into your kingdom with any prominent position. Lord, many of us were just on an ash heap. Many of us were just helplessly dead in our sins when you came and found us and your mercy, your mercy and your love raised us up, seated us together with Christ Jesus. And all these years or even days, weeks, we've sensed the work of your hand in our lives. Work of your hand. Lord, we pray that in these months and in these years and the next seasons that we're walking into as a, as a family of believers, we pray, Lord, that these good works that you've prearranged, that you've predetermined for each and every one of us, we just simply take a hold of them. And we'd be a blessing and an aroma of your goodness and diffuse it in the life of those who are perishing, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed. You've never prayed asking Jesus into your heart. Listen, you can pray. You can ask him into your heart anywhere. I prayed with a man on a mountain last night. When I was 15 years old, I was in the middle of a, t in the middle of a field in a tent. And I cried out to God. And that peace that Andrea talked about, that is such a part of their lives, became my portion too. Oh, the peace that you get from receiving Jesus as your Savior. You see, the Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace gives peace like you'll never find in this world today. Maybe there's just a big hole inside, like a black hole, and you try to fill that hole to be satisfied with everything. And everything you've put into that hole, it's just got bigger and blacker. I tell you now, Jesus Christ, the Savior, gave his life for you. He loves you so much. And he wants to Fill that hole so that there'll never be a hole in your life again. You'll always be satisfied. Not a life without tr troubles, no, but always deep within, secure, in peace with him. I'm going to pray right now. If you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you've got to use your mouth. You've got to use your mouth. It says you need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to do it. You said, well, 
What happens then? A miracle takes place. You can actually use your mouth to speak to God and God will listen and hear and respond to your call. He really will. He did it for me and he's done it for many others here. And many thousands that have come here over the years. Oh, God doesn't want you to miss out on this good goodness of his salvation or this blessing of peace. Or knowing that you can have eternity with him in heaven. Pray this prayer with me right now. Let's pray it together. Say it strong. Say it loud. Say this, Jesus, why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to say it together. You're not going to be singled out. But let it come from your heart and mean it. You're calling out to Jesus for the first time, and we're going to help you together as God's family. We're going to pray with you. Let's say it together, church. Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins, for washing me right now, for saving me from this day forth. Because I've called on your name, I believe that I will see and experience all of the wonders of salvation from now and forevermore. Amen. And all God's people said, come on, let's give Jesus praise. We're going to sing. Give him praise, church.